Hello and welcome to the 8th episode of the CCGI podcast. Last week we interviewed Dr. Simon French. We discussed his work at Queen's University and chiropractic utilization. This week we have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Chad Kulak. Dr. Chad Kulak received a Bachelor of Physical Education degree from the University of Alberta in 1995 and subsequently graduated as a Doctor of Chiropractic from CMCC in 1999. In 2009, Dr. Kulak was elected to the Council for the Alberta College and Association of Chiropractors. He served as the Finance Chair from 2010 to 2015, and since 2015 has served as their President. Serving on the Canadian Chiropractic Association's Patient Experience Task Force, uh, it has strengthened his belief that our credibility and public trust uh, in us would greatly be enhanced if we were to spend more time understanding them and who they are, and less time telling about us and who we are. So thanks so much for joining us, Chad. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thanks, Chad. We uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Um, so like you, I practice in Alberta, so hopefully I kind of know what's happening out here, but what can you tell our listeners about the practice landscape in Alberta? Well, it, it's going well. You know, the economics in Alberta have been challenging the last couple of years, but things are improving. Um, one thing that we believe has helped chiropractic in Alberta is our marketing program that our members have supported for almost 20 years. And in the beginning, I, along with a number of our members, felt the message that we should share should be a, a chiropractic message. However, in their wisdom, the leaders of the day allowed the experts in the advertising industry to develop the message. And it was always based on market research. Now, uh, the market research 20 years ago shows the same thing as it dis- does today, which is is that patients are driven to make a choice on whether to see a chiropractor based on symptoms and based on pain. And so we've consistently used market research every time we create a new campaign. And accordingly, we've watched our utilization rates slowly move up every single time we go back to the market, uh, with the exception of, of November of 2016. We went back to the market. Then our utilization rate slipped downwards a little bit, but it also happened to coincide with it, with the very same week that we did our market survey, it just happened to be the highest unemployment rates in Alberta in 22 years. And just to give you a, an idea of where we were at, Calgary was at 10.3% unemployment. The U.S. unemployment rate at its peak during the financial crisis was at 10.2%. So uh, economic conditions were, were not good. Despite that, patient utilization rate at that time and in Alberta was 24%, 65% of Albertans have seen a chiropractor at some point. So things are strong, they're healthy. Our marketing program is strongly supported by our members uh, as it's hard to ignore the evidence of the success and the consistency of how we have used our, our messaging over that period of time. Yeah, that's great. No, and it's, as somebody practicing here, it's it, it really does seem to be something that you know, it's strong, consistent messaging really, really seems to have an impact for us overall. Patients don't necessarily come in saying, you know, I saw that commercial on TV or I heard that commercial on the radio and that's why I'm here. But it's just, you know, planting those seeds in their head, right? Yeah, and it has grown over time. Initially, it was primarily a TV campaign, but it's really spread out so that we're involved with our, the uh, pro sports teams in Alberta and uh, some of the junior uh, hockey teams as well, um, online uh, advertising and marketing. And so we're, uh, we're doing a lot of things in a lot of different areas. And when you see 
that consistent messaging from the public with the goal being to rise to raise the decision making in the public to choose chiropractic earlier in that process we've seen the results so it's been great yeah so and another thing that we've been hearing a lot about is is an expansion of the scope of practice for chiropractors in alberta and it's certainly been the source of a lot of discussion uh, out here what what can you tell our listeners about the proposed scope expansion well i can uh, i can kind of run through how how it evolved because i think that's important as well and a few years ago in scanning the environment and looking at ways to enhance patient care we explored the idea of adding limited prescribing rights to our scope of practice we're also by the way petitioning for the ability to perform point of care ultrasound and the ability to perform electrodiagnosis but obviously the limited prescribing rights portion of our scope expansion generates the most interest so when we scanned the environment, we found a model that really resonated for us, and that's the Swiss model. Uh, their formulary sticks to the medications that would typically be used to prescribe for MSK conditions, that being anti-inflammatories, painkillers, muscle relaxants. Uh, our conversation at this time were prior to the opioid crisis coming to light. However, we were pretty clear that we weren't interested in prescribing of opioids. The intent behind chiropractic to have the ability to prescribe limited medication is to guide patients through the acute phase, prescribed as an adjunct to chiropractic treatment, not as a replacement. And so, so then we had to wrap our brains around the concept of adding prescribing rights to the profession, which is not easy. You know, it gets, gets easier though when you consider it from a patient perspective and what the evidence says. You know, it can be debated as to whether um, which is more effective for low back pain, chiropractic or pharmaceuticals. People can have that debate. You know, it depends on the research you read. Um, but since we are known to do a good job of MSK care, patients identify us with back pain. So why would we want to limit ourselves to only some of the treatment tools that the evidence supports? Why would we not want to have the tools available to us that are contained in the clinical practice guidelines worldwide? If we have all the tools, our role as a primary care provider becomes stronger. So having all the tools doesn't necessarily mean that we use all of them, but we have the ability and the education to participate with our patients on a, on a different type of level. So the argument leans towards our link as a primary care provider uh, it becomes tighter. But I think a better argument is on the patient side. You know, we know that a significant number of people who experience back pain take medication we know from the palmer study in 2016 that the public believes that medication is more effective than chiropractic care we also know from studies that even though patients have faith in medication uh, as being more effective than chiropractic care they really don't want to use medication if they don't have to they prefer an, an alternative if they can we also know from surveys that most chiropractors are providing advice on over-the-counter medication out of scope. So why would we not want to be involved in these conversations with our patients? Even if we never wrote a prescription for a patient, would we not be a better provider by having the appropriate education? Our patients are taking medication. Um, I know I certainly would like to have the conversation with them about it. I'd like to challenge them, set goals with them involving their behavior when it comes to medication but i can't do that as effectively now as if i could if i had limited 
prescribing rights. So um, it's been a it's been a couple years into the process, and uh, we're working through a government legislative process, and we don't have much information to give, other than there's consultation meetings with our stakeholders, and uh, we're working our way through. But we believe strongly that the public and the patient would benefit by having a provider that's conservative in its nature involved in some of these decisions that patients are making with other professions or just independently making in their own households. No, that's great. I think you make a lot of great points there, Chad. Um, so as the president of the ACAC, you're, you're somebody who's really influential in Alberta. Um, still, I know you see patients on a regular basis too. When you're when you're doing the when you're in practice, how do you are you using CCGI resources, and if so, how? Well, I am. You know, I've watched the, the patient side of the CCGI website evolve in a nice direction over the past year, and uh, you know, in the in the beginning, that patient side felt a bit limited to me, but they've really made some great strides, and uh, it's improving all the time. And I like the exercise videos, so. The last couple of months, I watched the YouTube video on how to set up my own YouTube exercise channel to share with patients, and it's excellent. You know, the uh, the ability to provide patients exercises that have some grounding or basis on research is it's a cool thing to share with patients. And it was far easier for me to set up this YouTube exercise channel than I expected, and uh, it'll grow and build um, as uh, as more exercises get added to that patient side. But, you know, I think most chiropractors are, uh, are really uh, responsible in the area of uh, providing exercises to their patients and ensuring that they're custom to their uh, patient and their concerns. And so if you can provide something online, it's a better resource than handing out pamphlets. So that's what I do. Great. Fantastic, and and soon we'll be having the low back pain exercise videos coming out as well to add to to the tools that uh, clinicians can use. Um, and you know, we'd like to to throw a, a bit of a clinical case your way um, as an ex as an example. If you had a patient with persistent grade two neck pain, how would you go about using the evidence, uh, including current guidelines, along with your clinical experience, to work with the patient? Well, uh, my clinical experience tells me that when it comes to exercises or stretches or activity, it's not that most people are doing the wrong thing, it's that they're doing nothing at all. So you have to make the link for them to own the responsibility of their health and the care they receive. So based on a, a patient with persistent grade two neck pain, you know, going through the history and examination, uh, if that suggests that uh, I would do some manipulation or mobilization, some soft tissue work, that works on the treatment side of things, I'd certainly give them some exercises to do. And I always feel that it's better to give only a few and really stress the mechanism behind why they're necessary to motivate the patient than providing too many. So they'll get a stretch because I think with persistent pain, I'm sure they've got some... Uh, musculature that's tightened up over time, strengthening exercise to get the blood moving through those muscles that have been chronically tight, and to increase the odds of the patient being committed, I think you gotta dig in and figure out what would be suitable for them. So depending on 
whether they're you know a mom with new kids, a guy in his 20s that hits the gym every day, or an office worker that uh, sits all day long, they all need their unique solution to their issue. And in this case, it's a grade two neck pain. So I'd probably push for them to do some uh, full body functional exercise and maybe some yoga. I'd really ask questions to ensure the yoga is a match for the patient. We all know there's great variety in the different types of yoga and in your in your community, there's an opportunity there to sort of figure out what works for each person. I'd want to feel them, make sure the patient's comfortable to attend. And we all play the role of the quarterback when it comes to our patient's care. So, um, you know, you provide exercises and stretches, send them out into a community. And in my case, I'm giving the yoga example. And uh, they come back and let you know what they think. And if it doesn't work for them, you need that trusting relationship so that you can alter course and do something else. Um, so along with the treatments, multimodal care um, is what is supported in the guidelines. And so giving them the right stretches and exercises and something in the community that works for them uh, is what I would do in this case. Well, it sounds like in addition to using the guidelines, you're meeting the patients where they're at and, and making sure that what you prescribe is is tailored to the individual you have in front of you, which uh, I think cannot be under or cannot be overstated how, how important that is. Uh, so it's great to hear that. Um, we'd, we'd well, and we know from the uh, from listening to uh, the uh, whether it's an opinion leader or uh, listening to anyone from the CCGI, the guidelines are all about improving your success rate with your patients. And certainly if you can tailor their home experience, whether those are exercises in the house or getting out and going to a class, it's going to increase your chance of success with that patient. And that's really where the guidelines are directing you to do. Yeah, completely. Well, we we hate hate to cut this this interview short, but unfortunately, we're going to have to to wrap it up today. But we'd really like to thank you for your time, Chad. Uh, we, we're really happy to have you with us. Uh, for our listeners, this is that time of the show when we ask you to complete a task. Take a look at the CCGI YouTube page and hit subscribe. This will ensure that you receive a notification when our exercise videos and yoga videos become available, and they should be published very soon. Yeah, thanks again for tuning in, and thanks again to our guest, Dr. Chad Kulak. Uh, it's really great to see how you, you use guidelines in a really patient-centered manner. And we look forward to bringing you our next guest in two weeks. Bye for now.